Episode 76, The City of Jericho. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about the Israelites preparing for the coming battles in the land of Canaan. They had the Lord's standard go before them, which was the Ark of the Covenant. They took time to recommit to the covenant by doing circumcision on all of the males. Lastly, they remembered the victory that the Lord had already done in their lives by celebrating the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now it was time to begin the possession of the land, especially after Joshua talks to the commander of the Lord's army, who is believed to be Jesus pre-incarnated, who gives Joshua the instructions for the coming battle against the city of Jericho. Before we talk about what the commander of the Lord's army said regarding the battle plans against Jericho, we will talk about the city itself. And before we even talk about archaeology of the city, we will get a feel for what the Israelites would have seen. The ancient city of Jericho is believed to be about six miles east of the Jordan River and about seven and a half miles northwest of the Dead Sea. The city's location itself is one of the lowest points in the world, with the city being around 750 feet below sea level. No other city is this low. The city was located in the plains of Jericho, where a large spring comes up and the plain itself is known for its fertile soil. The plain of Jericho was outlined by Mount Nebo in the east, the central mountains of Canaan to the west, and the Dead Sea to the south. The city would become known for being the city of palm trees. Now, these are not tropical palm trees with the coconuts, Rather, they would be date palm trees. The plain in which the city of Jericho sits is believed to have always been a location of great abundance. It's thought that the land was so vibrant and bursting with life that it was able to support the first people who settled in Jericho. When the city first started, the area was so fruitful that it was able to support a community of people without them having to farm the land. Eventually, the city would grow and the people would begin to farm the fertile soil. The city originally was settled by a nomadic tribe, people that were constantly on the move, called the Naftufians. Now, the Naftufians are just a culture of people that dates way back before really any settlements were made. They are more defined by what they did rather than who they were. Meaning, in history, they are known for being one of the first to go from a nomadic lifestyle to settling down in cities. This would eventually bring about the beginning of farming. Although history may not know who these people were, we do know that from Genesis 10, when the people were separated during the time of the Tower of Babel, those who would eventually settle in the area would be the descendants of Ham, the son of Noah. These would be the Canaanites and the Amorites. Now, the city of Jericho is believed to be one of, if not the oldest inhabited cities in the world. Archaeologists say that Jericho has the oldest known protective wall in the world. These walls were about 11.8 feet high, 3.6 meters, and 5.9 feet wide, 1.8 meters. 
Inside the walls was a stone tower that was 28 feet tall, 8.5 meters, and 30 feet wide at the base, or 9 meters. Inside of this tower was a staircase. The walls were thought to be used for either two reasons. The first is that the walls were just for protecting against flooding, almost like a barrier wall to the coming floods that would happen, because it is the lowest city in the world. Others say that walls were used like any other walls surrounding a city. They were used to protect against invaders. As mentioned, the location where the city of Jericho was established was fertile. As mentioned, the location where the city of Jericho was established was fertile. The land was rich in good soil. Plus, on top of being a fertile land, the location of the city itself was perfectly located for trade and a strategic location for access to the land of Canaan. With the Jordan River nearby, it too was used as a means of travel and trade. When the city was first settled, it had 70 homes in the plains. However, as time went on, the city would become a walled city with anywhere from 300 to 3,000 people living within. However, this first settlement would not last. Eventually, the place would be abandoned. Although, there were still the original people living in and around the area. When the second city was established, it was conquered by an invading people who just absorbed the original people who settled the land. But even this settlement would only be inhabited for a short period before it too was abandoned. It wasn't until the third settlement that would become the city that the Israelites would encounter. Now, it wasn't ever the case where no people were living in Jericho and its surrounding area. Rather, the settlement was abandoned. It means that the area that the walls enclosed, people still lived in the fertile plain. This third settlement is believed to have been settled sometime before the time that Abraham began to move his way towards the land of Canaan. When Abraham did come into the land of Canaan, the third settlement was already occupied by the Canaanites and their descendants. The city of Jericho would eventually come to its greatest prominence between 1700 and 1550 BC. This would be around the time that Jacob and his sons were wandering in the land of Canaan. As mentioned earlier, the location of the city made it for a great place to prosper, considering that it was in a fertile plain as well as being strategically located for trade. Because of the city's prosperity, it's believed that the walls were rebuilt to help prevent invaders from trying to take the city's wealth. The walls themselves are probably more famous than the city. So we will spend some time talking about the walls. Evidence shows that the walls have been built and rebuilt multiple times throughout the centuries. As mentioned, the walls themselves were almost 12 feet tall and 6 feet wide, or almost 4 meters tall and 2 meters wide. This is a way that they would be continued to be rebuilt. When the Canaanites came into control over the region and its city, they built a second wall and added to the already built wall. The first wall that was built 
and rebuilt would become the inner city walls. These are the oldest walls known in history. What would become known as the outer walls would be built by the Canaanites when they ruled the city. The improvement that the Canaanites made to the walls were impressive. When the outer walls were built, it was put on top of a retaining wall at its base. The retaining wall would be about 12 to 15 feet in height, 4 to 5 meters. Then on top of the retaining wall would be the actual wall being built. This wall would be about 6 feet wide, or 2 meters, and about 20 to 26 feet high, or 6 to 8 meters. Because of the retaining wall, it would create a slight hill that went up to the second wall, the original walls, or the inner walls. The inner walls were about 46 feet, or 14 meters, above the ground level of the retaining walls. So if an enemy attacked the first set of walls, they would come against a wall that would be 32 to 46 feet tall, 10 to 13 meters, because of the retaining wall and then the wall on top of it. Even if the enemy got through that wall, there was still another set of walls within. These would be the original walls built and rebuilt. Again, these walls would have been 12 feet tall and 6 feet wide, or 4 meters tall and 2 meters wide. The area that was enclosed by the inner walls was about 6 acres, and the area that was enclosed by the outer wall, but outside the inner wall, was an additional 3 acres. Making the city itself enclose a total of 9 acres. Also, that tower that was mentioned earlier was attached and within the inner walls. So it was mostly overlooked the city, rather than being used as a means to attack the coming enemy. We also know that people and houses were built within the inner wall as well as the outer wall. So the spaces between the two walls, houses were built. Archaeologists use a rule of thumb for determining the population of a city. Often, it's about 100 persons to every acre within a city. Therefore, that would make the living population within Jericho around 900. However, with cities come the surrounding villages nearby. So when the Israelites came to attack the city, more than likely the city had within its walls well over a couple thousand people. The way that the walls of Jericho are formed is an outer wall and then space where houses were built, and then an inner wall. Within the inner wall, there were houses built as well. The inner wall was the original wall that was built many, many years before the Israelites showed up on the scene. The outer walls were more recent, built by the Canaanites when they came to control the city and the surrounding region. Now that we understand this, it might give us a better picture of how Rahab let the spies out of her window and they were able to climb down the wall. Often, in ancient times, houses used city walls as one of the main walls within the house, meaning that the back wall of the house was the city wall. This would incorporate the houses and the walls together, making construction easier and giving more support to the walls. 
More than likely, this was how Rahab's house was built, with her house right up next to the city's outer wall. This also would allow the Israelites to see the scarlet cord that she was supposed to tie in the window so that they could see it. The walls of the city were made out of rock and a thick clay from the nearby Jordan River. The outer wall was mostly made of bricks. This will be good to know for the time of the battle between the Israelites and the city of Jericho. This is the city of Jericho. When Joshua was looking out over the city, this is what he would have seen. A city with double walls that measured in some areas to be over 40 feet tall. A tower in the intersection of the city that could be used for a lookout tower. In addition to seeing the walls, Joshua would have also seen the gates of Jericho as they were securely shut, not letting anyone in or out because of the fear of Israelites that came upon the people within the city. But Joshua also saw a fertile and lush land, bearing all different types of fruits and vegetables. It was during this time that Joshua was looking out over the city that the commander of the Lord's army showed up. Yes, the man that we talked about in the last episode. With the double walls, Joshua had to prepare a battle plan to take the city. However, the Lord gave Joshua instructions on how to make the city of Jericho fall. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, are the instructions. The first thing that the Lord tells Joshua is, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. At this point, nothing has happened in the siege against Jericho. The only sign that the people of Jericho did was securely barred the gates. This in of itself could be a sign. Because it could be that often in ancient times, people only hid behind their walls and prepared for a siege if they felt like they could not defeat their enemies in open battle. Sieges were not fun things. The people would sometimes be stuck inside of their city for up to a year as the tactics for siege warfare were sometimes just to wait and let the people in the city starve out. The siege on Jericho would be a long one if Joshua decided to starve the people out, because the harvest had just been gathered in and stored within the city. Plus, on top of having a year's worth of food, the city of Jericho itself had a fresh water spring within it. Those within the city could never get thirsty because of the spring. So when the Lord told Joshua that Jericho was to be delivered based on the sign that the city was securely shut, it shows the fear that the people already had of the Israelites. The Lord would continue with his instructions to Joshua on how to conquer Jericho. For six days, all of the fighting men would walk around the whole city. The lineup for the Israelites would be the armed men, the seven priests, the Ark of the Covenant, and then the rear guard of the men. Now remember, in ancient times, it was normal for the standard, banner, or symbol that represents the army's gods to go before them. With the symbol of their deity, the king or leader of the army would ride along at the front with the symbol, 
just like Egyptians used to have their kings ride on a throne that was carried by men at the front of the army to lead them into battle. The Israelites did this too, but instead of having their leader, who would have been Joshua, they had the image or the physical sign that the Lord was going before them in battle, the Ark of the Covenant. After six days of walking around the city, it would be on the seventh that the Israelites were to walk around the city seven times, all while the priests blew their trumpets made of ram's horns. Seven times is a lot to march around a city, especially if it were a larger city. However, luckily the walls of Jericho were believed to be about four miles in length, or just below six and a half kilometers. If the average pace of a human walking is about three miles per hour, or about five kilometers an hour, it would take no more than one and a half hours to walk around the whole city one time. It doesn't sound like it would take too long. But the men were to get completely ready for battle every day. It says in Joshua 6 verse 9 that the armed men were to walk. So it took time to get ready for battle. On the seventh day, they were to walk seven times around the city. That would be 28 miles in one day, just about 45 kilometers. The time to walk this distance would take about 10 hours to do. Remember, they were dressed for battle, so it wasn't like they were out there in their walking attire. After the Israelites were to walk around the city seven times on the seventh day, the priest was to blast their trumpets and the whole army was to give a great shout. This was the battle plan that the commander of the Lord's army gave Joshua. To us, it might not sound like the most logical plan of action. However, there are other stories from this time in history that leaders were instructed to stay quiet for six days when placing a siege against the city. They weren't allowed to even attack during those six days. But on the seventh day, the city would come out and offer tribute to them to leave. So it might sound crazy to us, but back then, other stories and battle plans were crazy and worked. We have to remember that all wars back then were holy. So whenever the people's deity spoke to the leader to give him a battle plan, no matter how crazy it sounded, they were to follow their deity and the plan given to them. After receiving the instructions from the commander of the Lord's army, Joshua went and told the people their plan of action. However, there's a part that Joshua adds to the instructions that the Lord never gave Joshua. In Joshua 6 verse 10, it says that Joshua commanded the army to not say a word until the day that Joshua tells them to make a shout. This is believed to be a very purposeful thing that Joshua commanded the people. More than likely, Joshua remembers very well the reason that the Israelites went into the wilderness. The people murmured in disbelief. When the spies came back from the promised land, the people went and stirred up disbelief amongst themselves through their words. This is what caused them to be punished and sent back into the wilderness for 40 years. So Joshua, more than likely, wanted to silence the people during their march around the city so that their words would not prevent the promise from coming true in their lives. 
just like it didn't come true in their father's generation. Because it's words that can bind up or set free. Thus, Joshua silenced them. Joshua got up early the next morning and we began placing the plan into action. So join us next time as we will begin to see how the instructions from the commander of the Lord's army will play out as the Israelites begin to spend their next week just walking around the city in episode 77, Ancient Warfare. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible. Let's get the word out by liking, rating, and following the show. This episode was produced by Nikeo Productions. To check out other shows, search for Nikeo Productions wherever you listen to podcasts.